Before we get started on this week's episode of The Ruck Rover, I just want to take the opportunity to thank everyone who has listened to the podcast so far. This is our fifth episode. We're really happy to be here and we're really happy that you're on board with us. I mean, we launched properly last week and at the moment I think we're sitting on about 140 Facebook likes in such a short space of time. So that's really exciting and we want to see the podcast listens get up from there. So I'm sure you've already seen it, but if you're new to the podcast, we are at The Ruck Rover on Instagram and Facebook and on Twitter we are Ruck Rover Pod. And please get around us on Twitter because that place is an absolute garbage fire for us at the moment so we would love some little retweets and love on that and most importantly please rate and review we're on spotify we are on itunes wherever you get your podcasts please rate and review give the ruck rover five stars let's really put this out there in front of as many people as possible and without further introduction this is the ruck rover my name is christian let's get around it Welcome to the Ruck Rover. So good to have you with us and I'm joined on the line for episode 5 by a new guest who has not been on the program with us before. It is none other than GWS tragic and actor extraordinaire Al Williams. Al, how are you going? I'm very well. It is a pleasure to be on the pod and might I say an absolute banger of an intro. (laughs) Thank you so much. Shout out to Chris Honey over there in Perth who uh, comprised or composed, I should say, our theme song. It is absolutely epic. I gave him the vaguest brief of all time, which was pretty much me not wanting to sound like other podcasts. It's like, hey, you know this one here that's really, really distinct? Never do anything don't like do that. that. Do not do that. I don't do want that. anything to do with that. I think the main thing I said is I just didn't want any fart rock. I just didn't want some song like Welcome to the Ruck Rover. And then a siren or something like that. I was like, you can absolutely keep that. Some classic like 90s AFL like hype music. Yeah, yeah. We're a thoroughly modern podcast, baby. You know, we need thoroughly modern music to match. Um, We're in the trance, you know. So we're being uh, pretty slack at the moment because we both actually do live in Sydney and somehow we're still appearing over video links. So we've already nailed this at the moment. As you know, the bridge is a huge divide in Sydney. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And Al is going to be joining us throughout the year and hopefully the years to come, not only to talk about football generally, but specifically to give a voice to the voiceless, the greater Western Sydney Giants, of which you are a tragic fan. Yeah, I mean, it it feels good having another fellow, you know, uh, guest on the pod uh, be a Gold Coast Sun supporter in... um, uh, in K-Max, yeah, so you know, out, I, don't, I don't feel so alone. Um, <laughs> I can't wait till he hears, he's like, eh, they're not my boys, mate. They're not my boys. They are your boys, they are, Caleb. They are his boys. They are um, his boys. Look, we've already got inside jokes in the Ruck Rover. I love it. Um, but first of all, before we dive into the premise of this podcast today is really to take a foundational look at the Greater Western Sydney Giants sort of as a whole. I don't know if their story has necessarily been told in one sort of neat little package, and let alone that, told from the view of a fan who's been there since the very beginning. So that's why we're sort of doing this podcast now. But I suppose to kick us off, there has been just a round of football of which the Greater Western Sydney Giants did in fact participate in. Uh, But there are a few other discussion points we just want to whip through at the top. And most of them actually come out of the first game of the round that just was, which was uh, the Sydney Swans up against the Essendon Football Club. And the most notable two and being Dane Rampey with the game <laughs> on the line, jumping on a goal post to put off David Myers as he kicked for goal. Uh, Al, what, do you have? Do we need to have thoughts on this? Do you have any thoughts on that? He's been fined today. We're recording this on a Tuesday night. This will come out on Wednesday. And he has been fined by the AFL. It's a bizarre... Th- I think it, I did it last week at AFL 9s. Um, and those, <laughs> those, polls, those posts are tiny. They don't stick up. But maybe he, maybe he saw me. Maybe he was... Uh, maybe he got the idea. For, like, who... I just... What goes through the... Like, I, I saw his um, his video apologising for the two things. Well, he needs that, to apologise uh, more for calling an umpire a little girl, which is just the most loaded... 
uh, uh, question from the nineteen from nineteen seventy four that I can ever imagine. But it's good we're still doing that in twenty nineteen. Love that, Dane. Yeah, some seriously solid stuff. Absolutely, um, in one game. Um, but no, jumping. I just want to know what was going through his mind. You know, like what makes you what makes you go? It's the end of the game. They're, they're up. They were up, weren't they? Yeah, they were. They were up. Like, don't. don't I, in my mind, you just go. Don't do anything well, that could give away a stupid free kick. I what actually are think. You doing? <clears throat> sorry, I actually think that a free kick should have been awarded, and that they should have yeah, lost uh, the game absolutely. as a result because it is against the rules. As they pointed out after the game, you are not allowed to do that. And the punishment for that is to award a free kick. And people say, well, it wasn't going to influence the result or anything like that. To that, I say so many free kicks don't decide the result of anything, but we pay them anyway. And they result in a shot on goal. If you linger in a tackle after a player has disposed of the football, there may have been no way realistically for that player to enter the game again and influence affect that, the play at all. affect the play at all, but we still pay the free kick. Ruck frees are an absolute bugbear for everyone, and especially me. And just because you push a ruckman slightly or make contact with his head, he gets to have a shot on goal from inside the forward pocket. I mean, you were never even close to manufacturing that sort of chance. And if it's mm. against the rules and a free kick should be paid and there's no reason for you to be doing it, and then you go do it anyway... You need to suffer the consequences for such a ridiculous boneheaded thing to do. But also, I mean, it's I, just a bizarre. It's just a bizarre move. I, I just got. What was he? Was he trying to jump, like climb up it and jump off it backwards to like spoil? Was that? Was that? What was going through? I, I think his you're head? giving him too much credit, mate. I think you're giving him absolutely too much credit. <laughs> I, I don't think he thought know. at all. But the other thing I also want to talk about briefly from that um, is David Myers kicking for goal then. And there's this great myth in the AFL of the long-legged left footer, that there's somehow this great kick. And we've seen it throughout history, the likes of him. You had Daniel Pierce. You had all these long left footers, and we just think they'd look beautiful in stride. And when he marked the ball, people were saying, oh, David Myers, he can kick this. He can." Go. No, he cannot. Yeah. He absolutely cannot. <laughs> he will spray it or he will not make the distance because he's a bad kick of the footy. And I couldn't believe all the cheddar that was coming out, how he's going to absolutely smack this through the middle because he's never been that guy. He's never been it before, and why would he be it now? It- it's interesting, isn't it? We've, we've uh, one of our players, Jeremy Finlayson, has come out, you know, this year, and basically we tried to, we put him up on the trade table at the end of last year, and they, they swung him forward, and you know he's kicked a, a bunch of goals, but you know because he he's a left footer, everything that we're hearing at the moment is he's a huge left footer, you know, oh, like, booming kick of the footy, booming kick, and uh, a beautiful kick of the footy, and I'm hearing all this stuff, I'm going, I. I've never, I've not seen it that much. I mean, maybe he started in defence. He he can kick the footy, but well, he sprayed I mean, a few of them on the weekend, remarkable. is what I'll say. He sprayed a fair few chances on the weekend, so I wouldn't give him too much of a rap. He did both the Jeremys uh, did. I mean, he had a chance. Uh, the first two beautiful marks inside fifty, nowhere near it. Uh, I suppose we don't really need to cover off Orazio Fantasia and the Brian Taylor debacle because basically a player came out and said, hello, my name is Orazio Fantasia and you've actually pronouncing my name wrong the entire time. Uh, and I'm not really going to be super aggressive about it. I'm just letting you know, like, hey, that's my name. Uh, and I hope <laughs> we can all move forward in this. And Brian Taylor said, no, 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 because you no, will you never get in the way of my dumb gear that I run. Uh, mm. And I just think that's absolutely ridiculous. Brian Taylor should pull his head in and let a player self-identify the way they would like to. Yeah. I mean, it's a ridiculous... I, look, I was reading all the articles about it, uh, but hadn't actually heard the video or watched the video, um, Orazio's video. And so I I don't, don't... I didn't know how to pronounce his name, you know. And up until that point, I think, uh, sure, you know, um, that's how he, he thought it was pronounced. You're allowed to do it. If someone comes out and tells you it's something different, you don't just keep... Keep saying, you know, what are you, like, year four? Come on. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. He wants to save his dumb bit, which, I mean, Brian Taylor generally is a meme that he lent into so far that people thought he was good. I mean, Channel 7 had this commentator who was inherently ridiculous, and then they said, like, hmm, the kids seem to like him online without realising that they were just making fun of him, and so they Mm. now paired him 
with um, the great Bruce McAvaney and in some sort of like cruel punishment to Bruce <laughs> that he has to go through that. But then to make the punishment crueler, even when he gets respite from BT, as he did on that Friday night game, he then has to commentate with Basil Zemplis. It's a real one-two punch. Yeah. It's a real But Bruce- also, I, I, I don't understand, like, you know, the first thing you do when someone, you know, it, it, you take the note. Take the note. You can still do your crazy commentating. You can just yes and that, and then just throw in the other enunciation. You know, you can pl- you can play with that. That's that's almost a you know, no. it's a bit of a, a no, twist mate. on a clap. You know, twist on his his classic. No, Fantasia. <laughs> nah, Fantasia. Uh, any thoughts on Ablett and Fife getting off the match review panel yet again? Yes, it's stupid. I like that. I, um, oh, sorry. Go on. I just uh, look. I thought the first one was a week, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and so I think the the second. I thought Dustin Martin's was a week as well. So I kind of am a bit confused um, by all three of those, and you just kind of go, mm, I think it might have something to do yeah. uh, with a certain <clears throat> medal. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it seems to be a rule for players who are very good, as people like Titus O'Reilly have pointed out, and also our very own Tim Burns on the Ruck Rover Slack. And he was a North, he's a North Melbourne fan, uh, and he was bemoaning the fact that Sam Durden uh, got strung up for his actions, whereas Ablett and Fife didn't because of their pedigree, to which I just said, that's really hard luck, but Sam Durden needs to be better. You know, he just needs to go out there and win a Brownlow and maybe he wouldn't be in this spot if he was just a better player. So sorry to put you on blast, Sam, but go win a Brownlow. Exactly right. Put a medal around your neck, come back to me. (laughs) I suppose that's as good a point as any to actually talk about what we are here to talk about at the moment, which is the Greater Western Sydney Giants from then to now. And really good to have you on to talk about this because... The first competitive match that they played was in 2012 when they were going through their inception from 2010 and 2011. Mm. Uh, You actually moved over to Sydney from Perth at that exact time. Can you talk us through your process of becoming a fan of probably, what is it, the second smallest fan base now after the Gold Coast Suns in terms of membership? I think it is number Uh, two. uh, Yeah. So how did a kid kid (laughs) from Perth? I, I haven't looked it up. Yeah, I, I, I don't believe, know, yeah, but I believe I, I it is. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's that's probably true. Yeah, so I I basically uh, grew up in Perth as a Richmond fan, but mostly an AFL fan, just from a, a family, you know, basketball background, but from a family. Oh, yeah, the Scott Pendlebury. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All the draft, uh, all the draft gurus want you basketball background. Exactly right. Uh, well, all the teams were vying for you know had that um, had that pedigree, but no, I just. Um, you know, a family that all, you know, all went for different teams just because we liked being competitive within it. Uh, but I always just loved the AFL. And so when I moved to uh, when I moved to Sydney or knew I was moving to Sydney, uh, the year that the Giants were going to start playing, um, I went, yep, yeah, I'm, I'm on. So really it was as soon as they announced the Giants were going to be a team um, in, in Sydney at that year, I went, great. I'm I'm on board. I'm I'm ready. I'm sick of Richmond. Um, wow, you really got out of the that. wrong time, my friend. Yeah, a lot of people said. I someone Charlie Clausen was saying that the other day on on his pod and saying, oh, you know, he got out the year before. I was like, it was six. It was six <laughs> years. I got out six years before the premiership. So you know, I water under a bridge. Um, but well, why, yeah, no, why, I, why, I, I why then? Why not the Swans? Like, the great thing about going, to, you know, for those that first year, 2012, was. Like, you knew we were going to get smashed. So there was no expectation. You were just like, I'm go there, get glimpses, have fun with mates and, um, and, and watch some footy. And it was, it was fun. Like, that first game against Sydney at ANZ um, was awesome. So you were there at that? Yeah, yeah, I was there at that. Um, you know, they unveiled this massive G in the middle of the ground. They did all this stuff and... Um, and yeah, it was it was a you know we got pantsed, but um, you know we had Izzy Falau out there running around. We had, well, I want to name you. I want to read you the um the team in 2012 round one who took the field that day. You sure. had a backline. I mean, it's amazing how many of them are still around. But you had the backline has changed a lot. You had Will Hoskin Elliott on a halfback flank. Yeah, I always liked him. Yeah, uh, Tim Moore. Yeah, Jack Homsch. 
Yeah. Adam Kennedy. Yeah. Phil Davis. Okay. Adam Kennedy there. just played 100 games. So. And hyper-relevant player Thomas Bug. Yep. Uh, you then had oh, the star started. This is the best Instagram, line ever. You mean. <laughs> <laughs> what? Hyper-relevant player on Instagram. Oh, hyper-relevant on his Instagram. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, you then had a great centre line of Callan Ward, Reese Palmer and Chad Corns. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> then had a half forward line of Nathan Wilson, Israel Folau named it centre half forward. Come on, uh, and, and Wilson, Wilson was named at half forward. Yeah, Wilson was named at half forward, which is strange. Yeah, Stephen Just... Keneally on a half forward flank, and then uh, forward line rounding out with Curtly Hampton, Devon Smith, and Jeremy Cameron with followers Jonathan Giles, Dylan Shiel, and none other than James McDonald. What a superstar! I don't think Jonathan Giles was following much. To be to be <laughs> fair, I did always like um, I did always like Curly Hampton as a player. He was one of my sort of favourites in those first um, two years. Yeah, he really hasn't fired a shot at Adelaide, has he? No, no, it was it was a bit disappointing. Mm. And then, of course, you had an interchange of Toby Green, Adam Tomlinson, Dom Tyson, and Jacob Townsend. Premiership mm. hero Jacob Townsend. Yeah. Uh, so what was yeah. it like? What was it like being? How many fans were there that day for Great Look, Western Sydney? The problem was that one wasn't at um, Giant Stadium or Skoda or Spotless or whatever. I think it's now just Giant Stadium. My it is just Giant me. Stadium, yeah, which is but nice. It's had a few names. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it was at ANZ, so that's a huge stadium, um, and so there wasn't heaps, but it was. It was still. It was kind of rocking. Like the atmosphere was good. They had a lot of music, a lot of hype. Um, and, and yeah, it was, it was good. It was solid. Like there was a lot of excitement in the air. I think a lot of people had waited a, a little while for this I think, um, to happen. So, yeah, I think the biggest, cause I go with you to a lot of GWS games over the journey as well. And the thing, I think the giant stadium is one of the most underrated sort of assets that the AFL has. It is a beautiful ground uh, after a while, you, you know, you sit in your assigned seats for an, a little bit of time and then you can kind of <laughs> go wherever you want. I mean, I tried to make my way up into the upper tier one time when no one was in there against a game against St Kilda and was rally told not to do that again. So that's super great. But, you know, we'd be sitting in different places, always come find you during a game. Uh, the food there is really, really good at Giant Stadium, I feel. And, and has been consistently good. Yeah, it but is. But, like... A while now, and and it was, you know, you I the first couple of years, you know, the games weren't amazing, so you would, I would just sit in a different spot, every, you know, every quarter, you know, yeah. we'd just move around and and um, check it all out. It is, it's a great boutique stadium, but you do, you feel close. I love it. Well, I that's the other it. thing I was going to build to was the fact that it does feel like a like community footy game to agree that you can hear the players yelling instructions at each other. Uh, from the site, like from the fence. It's awesome. You really do get I remember we went to see a Gold Coast GWS game there with no one in attendance, but it was amazing. <laughs> you could hear Took Miller just yelling at everyone else on the field and Keith Shaw running his mouth the entire time. It was really, really great. There's nothing more enjoyable than hearing Heath Shaw run his mouth. <laughs> uh, but they kind of, it's quite interesting their trajectory, especially when you chart it against the Gold Coast Suns because. When the Giants first came into existence, I was still over in Perth. And I remember when the Gold Coast Suns came into existence. And I remember a friend of mine, Tim, who we mentioned earlier, looking at that initial Gold Coast list because, of course, they got Gary Ablett. They got the best player in the game to come up there and play for them. And I remember looking at their list in the paper one day and my friend Tim said to me they could make finals this year. Because looking at it, they had the likes of Jared Brennan. They had Riscatelli, who just won a best and fairest. They had Gary Ablett had come up. Uh, I'm forgetting a host of other people who made the joint. Nathan Bock was there with them. Uh, and they had this host of young, amazing talent as well. There was this real sense about them, whereas Greater Western Sydney, far, far less. I remember the reporting was they tried to get Nick Nat and Nui. I don't think those discussions went very far. Uh, they eventually got Tom Scully as their biggest marquee signing, which when you compare to he was an unproven first round draft pick, a number one overall pick, I should say, from the Melbourne Demons, but largely unproven by that point. Uh, and he was, you know, the marquee signing compared to Gary Ablett. 
when really the best person they signed in that entire time was the underrated Phil Davis over from Adelaide. It's probably the best person they actually managed to recruit at that time. But I remember that drop-off being really stark. And the moment I thought it looked grim for them was after the 2013 Grand Final when all the talk was Buddy Franklin had agreed to go to Sydney and no one factored in the fact that he had actually chosen the Sydney Swans. Mm. Uh, And I think the Giants were dumbfounded. I think the AFL was so much so that I remember AFL 360 was meant to end for the year and they had to come back and do a special (laughs) on Buddy Franklin going to the Sydney Swans. Yeah, he's taking his talents. He's to, taking um, his talents to South um, Melbourne to Vaucluse, uh, Sydney. Yeah, look, I'm one of the few that I just didn't mind Buddy Franklin going to Sydney. I kind of thought we had John Patton, Jeremy Cameron. I was like, why do we need another huge forward for? Like, I, I mean, I get it because he's like one of the most exciting players in the game. Yeah, I would say that has something to do with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty, like, it's a big marquee signing. But as far as, like, the ethos and the culture of the club, I was like, yeah. I, you know, it, it didn't, after watching, like, the way that Callan Ward and, and Phil Davis were going about it, and we were very, also still quite early in our development. Yeah. What was it, Twenty end of 2013. So, you know, we didn't make finals the next year, uh, the next, t- no, the next year. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, it didn't bother me. I was like, Jeremy Cameron's the guy. He's I'm interested. Guy. I'm interested in that when you mentioned culture and being a new club. What is? And I should also mention at this point that you are actually an ambassador for the Greater Western Sydney Giants. So what is that culture that you alluded to before? You know, and we're not saying that Buddy doesn't fit into that or anything. We're talking about the no, signing. No, no, no. We're talking about the signing more than anything, and which I appreciate, but. You know, being such a new club from the west of Sydney, what kind of culture do you see them sort of having as a team? Well, I think, like, I think it has a lot to do uh, with the way they went about it early. And 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 as what you were saying about Gold Coast and saying, okay, they could be in it straight away. But they also traded away a lot of um, young picks for that. Uh, they spent a lot of money very early to be, like, relevant immediately basically um and we didn't uh, <laughs> and we got bel- we got like proper belted but there was that I game think- against Essendon early on where I think they scored 72 points in a quarter or something like that look I remember one against Richmond where Jack I think Jack Rewell kicked 11 on us yeah, that <laughs> I was going out. and I haven't was, looked it know, up but that makes sense team, and I was going oh this sucks you know but I think it. I think it almost was those first two, three years um, in the inferno that kind of banded them together. They got a like because they were all young picks. They were all really good uh, low low picks, I should say, or high picks, whatever. Way I think you we say high it. picks, but I understand you. What you yeah, mean. it's high high picks. Um, you know, they weren't used to getting smashed like this, and they went out there and got absolutely smashed. And I think that sort of built a culture of no, 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 we're not gonna. We're not going to take this. We're going to build up, and and I've liked the the the, the signings that we have brought in. Um, you know, once we we got going, someone like you know on field coaches that will, um, you know, you look at what Heath Shaw, and then you got Mummy in the middle, who you know isn't the quickest, but lays out tackles, goes about it hard, follows up, you know, bowls people over, takes people out of contests. Um, and then, and then even Stevie J in the in the forward line, like he did he, help. Yeah, you bringing, but you're bringing in guys who are mongrels, but are like hardworking mongrels, you know. So it, it sort of builds a, it doesn't build that kind of superstar um, ethos within the club. I think it built built more of a, hey, we we all do this to, you know, we all we all get down and dirty, and and having a lot of high picks. And teaching them that I think is gonna is gonna be good for the club, you know, uh, as they as they go forward. And I think it's one of those things that you know now those now those players are teaching the younger draft picks that we're getting in that 
Well, they certainly lent into the working class element of the club and the multicultural element of their club, none more so than the fact that, A, they hired Kevin Sheedy to be their coach, first of all, and knowing, and this is someone who wanted to have a workers' round back when he was the Essendon football club coach. Mm. Um, So we know what he sort of stands for. Did he establish country round as well or oh i actually don't know off the top of my head but i it would not surprise me i definitely know he i think he did did. push for a country round but he definitely also pushed for a workers round more generally um and then also the simple fact that their song is so reflective of the culture in which that they are based uh and i think it's probably the most underrated the big big sound from the west of the town is people sleep on that song but it, it is, is it is an awesome. outright banger, and it is great to yell out um, because no one's doing it. Everyone, yeah, no one's um, no one's doing it. I mean, I still think, obviously, the the one that holds the title, everyone always says, is Fremantle, and I understand that. But I think a sneaky worst, <laughs> I think a sneaky worst one is actually West Coast because they used to have a really great anthem uh, when it was all about sticking up the Vicks and everything because their song was had a bit more tempo to it. It was like, where the Eagles, the West Coast. It was a bit more anthemic, and now it's got that weird slap bass and a guy speak singing like he's Tom Waits or something. I just can't deal with it. the breathiest performance. It's no good. and It's It's where the Eagles, the West Coast. You know, it's just like, what are you doing? And we're here. Yeah. I'm it's just like, just sing it. It's such a good melody. Like, just sing it. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting off topic. I do want to, yeah. before we move on from these early years, I do want to ask you: Do you have any memories of Israel Folau playing the game of footy? Um, I mean, I've got a couple of recent ones. <laughs> yeah, we will. Not great ones, to be honest. Uh, he was, he was pretty. I mean, he showed moments when he, he. I remember a couple of. Good tackles that he laid. Um, yeah, I really wanted I can't him to be good. Who they were on, but he, yeah, he like he knew how to tackle, and um, but he just never looked comfortable. To be no. honest, he, he was never in the right position. Um, you he, know, let in, he let in uh, straight lines and and couldn't did, had a turning circle of a ship. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, for someone who who they thought would translate quite well, I, I'm not sure that they actually did. I thought they just thought it would be a, a great exercise. Um, in in promoting the club, but you know, for someone who's supposed to be really good above above his head and and all these sorts of things, um, yeah, no, he wasn't great. But that it's a it's a hard game. You know, he didn't have a basketball background like me. You know, like, <laughs> it's a hard game to pick up. Uh, I remember when Caleb and I were writing four quarters back in 2014. In our first episode, for some reason, the final script came out that we'd based an entire joke around Israel Folau and someone in Melbourne had some poor runner had to go out and find a GWS jersey with number four on the back. And then the episode came out and they were like, who is that? And I was like, it's Israel Folau. How do you not know this? And then I realised I'd gone too far into the bath of my own bathwater and was just drinking that up. You drowned. You drowned. (laughs) Dead dead on arrival. Um, Let's go on to their draft history. I wonder how many people got that. Well, well, about four people were watching the show and one of those four people's brother was like, nice Israel for loud joke. And I was like, thanks, man, but Twitter wasn't really around, so I never heard it. (laughs) Great. Moving on to their sort of draft history and how they sort of built themselves up. So they were getting belted. They got, you know, a lot of concessions early on to try and mitigate against this because they didn't get all the big free agent signings that the Gold Coast necessarily um, sort of got, but also, yeah. more importantly, um, they were never really going to get. So they had to figure out something else around that because people were pretty dire on the Greater Western Sydney's prospects. They, I mean, they still are and unfairly so, but especially at this time. Uh, and they really sort of built their drafts through um, a few different things. And first of all, I'd say the most important was the fact they actually had early access People forget this to a bunch of players who didn't actually even go into the draft to begin with. And yeah, some this of the was most, huge. And some of the most important ones of those is Jeremy Cameron has never not been a giant. Nope. And the same was for Trelaw and Dylan Scheel, who mm. I'm sure you would now say a traitor is scum. But nonetheless, uh, Look, that's Trelaw was my favourite player for um, those first few years. So that that was a, a bitter pill. Uh, I thought uh, Trelaw and Trelaw won. You know what are you yeah. going to do? Um, but 20, uh, then we had the first draft and obviously the 2011 draft, they have just 
enormous, enormous concessions where they have the first five picks. Uh, and I'm pretty sure then they also follow that up with uh, how many is it in the first round here? Did, did we get did we get eight out of the top ten? Was it was it eight out of the top ten? Or I'm pretty sure it was all. Well, was you had Jonathan Patton one, Stephen Cornelio two, Dom Tyson three, Will Hoskin Elliott four, and Matt Buntine five. Which uh. you'd actually kind of say like a few of those were like the Buntine of five now doesn't really stack up, but they had so much room to play with. They certainly made it work with things later because then they go Nick Haynes at seven, Adam Tomlinson at nine. Yeah. I mean, the Liam Sumner at 10 hurts, but then you made that Carlton's problem, as you so often did. Yep. Uh, Toby Green at 11 is a steal. Uh. Taylor Adams at 13. Devin Smith, 14. I mean, that is that is outstanding mid to drafting. late first drafting. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's one of these things where there would have been a lot of pressure on on whoever was drafting. But you, you also no, know. No, I don't think there was that much you know, pressure. You, it's a crap. You, you have so many bites at it. You're just sort of like, I'll take yeah. that one. I'll take that and, one. And you know you're not going to get them all right, right? And you yeah. know that there's going to be also, you're, you're picking some players purely on position as well. Like you can't just get a team full of midfielders and and try and make it work. Yeah. Um, they, had, they had to pick up some bigger bodies and, and stuff like that. Well, the, the draft that hurts is actually the year afterwards because you make mm-hmm. a very astute selection first with Lockie Whitfield. Yep. And then you chime in with Jono O'Rourke and Lockie Plowman. Yeah. Uh, Jono O'Rourke isn't even in the league anymore, and neither is Christian Jacks, who uh, was selected at pick 12. But you do mm-hmm. manage to get some uh, save some face with Aiden Core at 14. But that's the draft in which um, the Bulldogs select McRae and Stringer. <laughs> Yeah. So that one's interesting. But then I believe it sort of gets back on track in building I think we get Kelly at two next oh, year. Oh it gets it gets really good then. So in twenty thirteen, obviously there's Kelly at two, but you also have Zach Williams, Rory oh. Lobb, you have Sunshine McCarthy who who has moved on obviously to Fremantle. Mm. And then there's another interesting draft in twenty fourteen where you have picks four, six and seven and whiff on all of them. I believe you go Pickett, Ahern, and Caleb Marchbank, who is serviceable for the worst side in the competition. Caleb Marchbank played a few games and was a pretty good, pretty good player. Yeah, pretty good okay. third tall. Yeah, yeah. Everyone loves yeah. the third. Everyone loves a third tall, especially <laughs> yeah. when they draft them thinking they're going to be a first tall. Everyone loves it when That's they develop like, into a third tall. And then we have some trades that that sort of hurt. I mean, the Trelaw one hurts to this day. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, I didn't realize this, but Taylor Adams was actually given in a straight swap for Heath Shaw. Uh, and as mm. someone who wanted to go, I wonder whether they, if they had their time again, they might negotiate a bit harder because he has a gun. But at the same time, the intangibles that Heath Shaw, the intangibles that Heath Shaw gives, and the confidence he gives that football club, marshalling them in the back line, kind of can't be understated. And the one that hurts for me as a Fremantle fan um, is Tim Taranto because Fremantle effectively gave uh, Hugh McCluggage to the Brisbane Lions because we traded our pick number two, I believe it was, or three maybe it was, um, to trade down to get Griffin Logue and Cam McCarthy. Uh And they gave GWS the points, I believe, they need, or maybe it was a three-way trade that they went up to get Tim Taranto, who this year is a gun... Yeah, he is. Oh, well, so good. I could see we could see Tim Taranto being an insanely good player mm. um, because he's in like him. It was sort of between him and Hopper. You were going to go. One of these guys is going to really jettison. And like he's going to fly. And they're both really strong inside stuff. And Hopper has spent a bit more time out, I think, than Taranto has. But I think Taranto. What Taranto's established is his like follow up game and his kicking. Like, he's mm. gotten so much better. Like, it's one thing to be an insane inside kind of ball getter, which he is. Um, but then to, I don't know, I don't know if he's just hanging out with Lockie Whitfield or what's going on, but his kicking has gotten really good, really uh, good. Yeah, hopefully he's not hanging out with Lockie Whitfield, the slip over club. <laughs> no, um, no, not that. Uh, can we run through very quickly? This is probably a good time, isn't it? I wanted to raise it later. Um, some of your stinky GWS gear that you like to say 
at games because you have now developed this stable of nicknames for oh. various past and present GWS players. And I think everyone, all the listeners who don't know these players maybe as well as you and I do might benefit from the fact that you have a few nicknames for them. Are you comfortable sharing any of those now? Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got Himmelberg, which is probably my, my favourite at the moment. This is easily and, my least favourite of yours, but go on. Yeah, and, and <laughs> yeah. look, a lot of the people at the games have no idea what I'm talking about, and, uh, <laughs> but, you know, there's, there's a few of us that, are, that enjoy it. Um, Himmelberg, we're going to the Himmelberg disaster, the Hindenburg disaster, and then we went from disaster to the disaster artist. So we sort of just call him the disaster artist because he reigns disaster on the other team. I think that's what we're going for. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's probably my favourite. And we we did have a step further, but we decided. Um, no, the yeah, you left it there? Yeah, we're going to leave that one. Yeah, there. fair enough. But that's how, that's, this, that's how this team, I guess, was sort of built. Um, and it all sort of led up to the next sort of topic, I guess, that I want to discuss, which is the year 2016 mm. and sort of what that held for the Giants? Because I believe, is that their second year playing finals or is that their first? That is our first That year is the first finals. year they play finals. And you yes, and I'm I... Pretty, I'm pretty sure that 2015 we finished 11th. Um, and, and we won, um, I think, 10 or 11 games. So, like, we'd had a good year. And, and we'd done some... Um, we'd beaten Hawthorne in their disgusting Power Ranger Guernseys um, that year. And... Um, I loved those Power Ranger Guernseys because they were, I can guarantee you the Hawthorne Power Ranger Guernseys of 20, I think it was 15, 14, 15. It was around then. They they wore it for two years. Oh, they wore it for two years. So it would have been 15, 16. It would have been 15, 16. And they made them. I guarantee you they made them just so one day in 20 years time, they could sell them for 3,000% markups and say, oh, remember when we had these crazy bad jerseys? Like that doesn't, that doesn't work if you make them intentionally bad to begin with. That's I not how that works. they're already getting pricey. Oh, I hate <laughs> that. Do you know what I mean? Like the old, um, like the orange kangaroo and the uh, North Melbourne had, the, mm. the multicolored vomit that was the early Fremantle ones, those, everyone at the time thought this was a really rad and great idea and history has proved them to be naff but then so naff that they're fun. There's yep. nothing fun to me about intentionally making a bad Guernsey but they nearly blew up on them when they had to play West Coast in the 2015 Grand Final and they were nearly forced to wear their Clash jumper and for them to have to run out on Grand Final Day and play in that would have been the ultimate just absolute kick in the pants for that football club. I would have loved it. Would have absolutely loved it. Would have been fantastic. Um, but yeah, so 2015, yeah, so I think oh, we 16, finished yeah. 11th. But yeah, you did, yeah. We we, we sort of um, had a few big, big wins, um, a few scalps. And then 2016, yeah, <laughs> 2016, it has been the most, it was the most painful year, I think. Um, it was also the best. Um I think that because, that year yeah. is it's it's the kind of year that makes a football club, and I mean that is it makes every football club has to have this mix of joy and heartache and this like real pit of your stomach aching and celebration that has to come along with it. And I feel like GWS now have that moment of folklore written into them by virtue of that season. And the narrative around sort of the Giants Bulldogs. Um, history as well, uh, short history, was was quite good. You know, we had Rory Lobb, the Callan Ward stuff, Griffin. Um, so there was, a, there was enough going on and we'd had a few close battles in the last couple of years. So that that prelim... Um, well, let's, uh, let's take it a step. In... Let's take it a step earlier okay. because they finished fourth on the ladder mm. and that puts them on a collision course in 2016 with the team that is first on the ladder which are the Sydney Swans. And they play a game, uh, a, what is it called? A qualifying final? I think that's what they call it, a qualifying final uh, at ANZ Stadium that you and I and a group of our friends, hopefully who some of whom will appear on this podcast at a later date, were <laughs> actually at. And we've roundly described it as one of the best days that I think we've ever had. And that was because we just went down to a really lovely pub in Redfern 
uh, I think it's the Lord Raglan did we go to? Or did we That's go the to one. We went to the Lord Raglan and were just hyped up for this game and none of us had seen a GWS final before, let alone played in really a big final in Sydney. Because I don't know if you know this, but the AFL is not that big in Sydney. And when you start to see all this hype around it on the streets and things like that, it gets really, really exciting. Is that fair? Yeah, very fair. And, and you know, it was, a, it was our first final uh, against Sydney, who we'd um, beaten, I think, again that year. Oh, one and one, I think it was that year. And so it was like, it was huge, you know, um, you know, and then and then you have all the stuff with Buddy Franklin not not coming in the Giants. So you, there was there was a, there was enough there. There was already enough uh, disdain between yeah. the clubs in the, a short amount of time. Um, and yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't love, you know, I, it takes me probably an hour to get out uh, on the train and um, to watch each game uh, on the weekend. And yeah, it does take a bit of time, but I don't know, I kind of think it kind of builds the, uh, yeah. you know, going from the pub, it builds the excitement. There's good, there's good chatter on the, on the train. Well, that's one thing I will give Sydney fans credit for, and that's GWS fans and Sydney Swans fans, is they are just generally a delightful bunch, you know? So we, you know, had a few drinks, got on the train, everyone was in great spirits, you know, because there's not as much on the line on a qualifying final as well get to the stadium. I mean, it's an awkward stadium to watch AFL, and I think anyone who's been there will agree to that. But the atmosphere was great. There were lots of Giants fans. We had a great group of people around us. We were able to watch the game and have a lot of fun, making a lot of Mike Baird jokes along the way about lockout laws when they cancelled the kick-to-kick because Sydney were winning, and then Sydney started to lose, so everyone left, so they put kick-to-kick back on. A heap of fun came out of that. Um, And sure enough, for those who don't know, the little brother, the GWS Giants at fourth and Sydney at first, the Giants come out and absolutely smash them in the second half. I think they only led Sydney in the first quarter or maybe they had maybe got level in the second as well. But after that is an avalanche of Greater mm. Western Sydney Giant goals. And this team really at that time, everyone had talked about them being the Rolls-Royce of the AFL. They really did look it during that game. That's where the orange tsunami was sort of born in that moment. It was, it was incredible. I, I enjoyed that day uh, uh, so much, and the atmosphere was was it was it was awesome, and it was palpable as well. You were like, "This is an arrival." Mm. Um, yeah, beautiful, beautiful stuff. And I suppose then we should swing forward to the preliminary final. Now, I don't want to talk too much about that preliminary final because, in a spoiler alert, I have another episode planned coming out later in which I'm going to dissect the Bulldogs 2016 year in what I think is probably the greatest yarn of the modern era of football. So stay tuned for that one. It is awesome. I can't wait to do it with Alex Walters. Um, I'm more than happy to, to not talk about. Uh, well, no, no, because you have a really great, you have, so they've won two weeks before they've earned the week off uh, and your team, your new team for the first time is hosting is playing in a preliminary final, one game away from a grand final, but more importantly, hosting that preliminary final on their home deck in yep. Western Sydney against the Western Bulldogs, who have never experienced anything like this themselves. They're coming into mm-hmm. enemy territory. They're also playing in a prelim for the first time in forever, but they're doing it really not on their terms at all. But you weren't able to be at that game. No, I wasn't. I was in Perth doing a play or a film, I think. I can't remember at the moment. It I all think it becomes a, a haze. Play. Pardon? It all becomes a haze. It, it did. And I, I kind of went, uh, yep, um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go watch the game. I, I didn't want to kind of watch it by myself because I will bite my uh, fingernails off and bleed, and that's just not pretty. Um, it's not good so for the like, play and or film that you were such things, doing. Such things can't happen. Um, and I, I kind of went online and looked on Facebook for, like, the, the giant supporter group, and um, and I was like, great, it's like this pub and it's going to be awesome, full of Giants fans or as, as full as it can be of Giants fans, and, you know, the Perth Giants supporter group. And um, anyway, I rocked up, like, drenched in orange, um, and just it, it was just a sea of Bulldogs fans. Like the, the same people who ran the Giants supporter group also ran the Western Bulldogs one. Um, 
So, you know, they had it up on this big projector. <laughs> they were giving away prizes and, and stuff. And, and the Bulldogs fan that won the Giants gear just gave it to me. And it was one of the best games I've, of football I've ever seen in my life. Also one of the most heartbreaking. So, you know, it's one of those things. It would have been a, it would have been a derby grand final. And it, uh, it did not happen. Do you think you would have won that grand final had you gone through? Almost certainly. I think you would have as well. I mean, it's hard to speculate on these things, but if you get up then, the narrative and the momentum is with you and Mm -hmm. having just beaten the Swans into a pulp two weeks prior, I just don't see them getting back up for that contest. I don't see them, given what they displayed the week after anyway, necessarily Mm -hmm. being able to conquer that. And we be, it's not like that we beat them at Giants Stadium. We we beat them at ANZ, which was kind of neutral territory the first time. And so to go play them at the MCG would have been oh look, it would have been it would have been awesome. You know, I, I I had the phone out with tickets booked and and the lot, but So you, no. you put the moxie on them, you did it. Oh, yeah, yeah, look, I've done it I've done it a few times. <laughs> uh yeah, and of course the next year they um make a preliminary final again only to lose to the black and yellow wave of history that is the Richmond Football Club going on in uh, 2017, sorry, and then 2018. Uh, I believe they win their first week. I think it's six and seven, and they play mm. the Swans. Swans again and beat them. Yeah, uh, I only lost to, to the Swans in a final. Yes, yeah, only to go just, on and lose. It's so just letting every city Swans fan know that you've never... never. Well, what's the, what's the rivalry there. like between... GWS and Sydney, where's it at now? Is, is there Look, a rivalry? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I certainly give it to every Swans fan I see on the streets. So you punch them all <laughs> um, in the back of the head. Yeah, exactly right. Um, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's Swans fans are or they're kind of like West Coast fans, you know. We're both West Australian. They're kind of like they're all happy until it's not um, going their way. I to took be fair, a, um, Sydney Swans fans don't leave at three-quarter time. They don't? No, they don't as far as I know. No, no, they don't. They don't seem to. Um, and neither do Giants fans. But it's one of those things where it's yeah. I, I think it's, well, the it's trains quite good. Aren't like all, all of the people that I talk to on the train and at games, like they're they're pretty up for they're pretty up for it. I will say it's better when you go out and it's the Swans fans that come out to Giant Stadium are usually um, are pretty good and football fans. But when you go to the SCG drenched in orange and and talk a bunch of nonsense. Um, yeah, you're going to get a bit back, which is what you want at the footy. Yeah, exactly right. Um, can we go through quickly the all GWS left team, as in every player who has left them, the best 22? Sure. So I have it here. Uh, you have a back line of Sam Frost, Jack Homps, Caleb Marchbank, Paula Hearn, Lockie Plowman, and Nathan Wilson. You yeah, have... I reckon maybe one of those guys would <laughs> make it into the team wait, that wait. we've got at the moment. You've got yeah. a centre line of... Trelaw, Adams, Scully with followers of Shield, Lobb, and Jack Steele. And then, a, and then a forward line of James Stewart. God, I don't know why he's in here, but sure. Uh, Josh Bruce, Devin Smith, Jacob Townsend, Will Hoskin Elliott, and Tom Boyd uh, with an interchange of Miles, Andrew Phillips, Dom Tyson, Cam McCarthy. And then you have emergencies of Jed Lamb, Will Settlerfield, and Matthew Kennedy, who has never fired a shot for Carlton, um, which is really surprising. Because I remember watching him in GWS and thinking he was good. You used to call him Bam Bam. Yeah, Bam Bam, because he would go Bam and then he'd go Bam again, and he looked like Bam Bam. Um, he looked like he was going to be a, a a gun. Matt well, same Kennedy. with same with Cam McCarthy. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of one of those things where, you know, I, I was devastated when we lost him. I was like, he's going to be really good. And then he, you know, started um, liking people's posts on um, <laughs> Instagram and I'm off him now. Yeah, pretty um, yikes. But, you know, there, there's a, I think, you know, as you've just read those out, I'm like, well, yeah, that's a lot of midfield. That's a lot of midfield. I mean, there's a couple of forwards there, which you'd be like, yep, yeah, I dig them, but, you know. We've got forwards. We've got pretty good forwards. And, and the back line, I, it, it hurt losing Wilson um, just because he's such a such a booming kick. And, and having Wilson and Williams in the back line was just a – was dynamic, having those two who can both carry the ball and kick the ball pretty accurately. I remember watching the final that uh, ended West Coast's season against the Giants at Giants Stadium and – I really saw the orange tsunami because West Coast by that stage, this was 20, uh, 
20... I think it was 2016, actually. No, it mustn't have been. It must have been 2017 or something 17. like that. It must have been 17. must have been 17. Yeah, that's right. It must have been 17. And watching that orange tsunami, watching them with their hands work through everything. But the thing I remember most of all was Wilson off the half-back line were literally just... Because the West Coast by that stage were tired and they were slow mm. with Sam Mitchell and Drew Petrie and the like. And watching him run straight down the middle of that stadium and kick over their midfield to someone like Tom Scully who had worked from defence and run the entire team, he was really special then. But I want to ask you, other than Trelaw, which player do you sentimentally miss the most and which one do you think you would love to have back to slot right back into the Giants' 22? Jeez, that's a because Trelaw is the answer for both of them. He is clearly the best player. He's the on best this player list. that we've that we've lost. Yes. I think. Um, geez, that's a tough one. You know, last year was last year was tough um, because losing a big like lob meant that ruck wise, you know, we had to bring Shane Mumford out of retirement. <laughs> um, really. Um, I imagine and Shane Mumford's retirement is just him like Rocky boxing a bunch of meat suspended in a cool room and they just opened the door and he was in there doing that. It's like, you want to play footy again, mummy? Yeah. He like takes off his boxing gloves, looks down, looks back up and goes, when do I start? It's just a, um, it's just a rag doll with Mitch Duncan's face pinned on it. Yeah, that he's, he's constantly tackling it. And tackling it and tackling it. R.I.P. Mitch Duncan. He's had a great career, but damn, he got flattened. That was one of my favourite. That was one of my one of my favourite pieces of gear through, um, you know, being at the Giants. Was I was at that game. Um, I was doing Romeo and Juliet in Canberra. And um, I think uh, Dave Matthews' parents came to watch me. And anyway, they, they invited me to the game. And I, I could only go and watch a half. But uh, I, I went and watched a half, and it was pretty obvious who was at because I, I went in with like you know neo romantic you know eyeliner under my eyes and watching footy, and I remember seeing him absolutely flatten him. And our our bit of gear about that was that he got hit so hard that he woke up again that morning, and that no matter what he did, he it all led to that moment. Up. So he got stuck in like oh, a he got groundhog, groundhog day. Dave. He got groundhog yeah, yeah, day. Basically, he got so he hit he hit so hard that he he went back in time. I really um, I like that, and I also like the fact that it led to one of the worst exclamations of um, commentary. But it was so visceral, I can almost forgive it. When I believe it's Paul Ruse who might have been. Oh, maybe it was Brad Johnson. Someone yelled out the big mama fight, <laughs> yeah, and it just doesn't yeah. work. But it's heaps of fun, so I quite like it. Yeah, Mummified is my tipping name, actually, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, okay, so who who do yeah, I so who, Yeah, sorry, we're going back, back to that. I even forgot can you, can you that. give me that midfield again? Yeah, so I'll, I'll name you a few which I think might be in there. So you've got uh, Rory Lobb, Dylan Shield, Jack Steele, Devin Smith, Josh Bruce, Tom Boyd, Will Hoskin Elliott, Tom Scully, Taylor Adams. Jeez. Nathan Wilson. Yeah, I mean, I loved Hoskin Elliott. And having that run's good. Um, having lost Scully, having a bit of that run back would be pretty handy. Um, and he's he's got a lot of upside and a lot of goal now. Um, Dylan Sheeler, I think is a is a great player. I don't think I'd bring him back. Yeah, I think I'm going to go. I think I know this is a bit odd, but I think I'm going to go Rory Lobb. Interesting. I liked it. I, I liked him. He could kick. I've seen him kick goals from fifty-five out on an angle. I've seen him take important marks in big games. He's just—he's just a bit of trouble. Like you put, you can kind of put him forward, and he does a bit of damage. I like him. If I could take anyone, and I, I am a fan of the Giants, I would take Will Hoskin Elliott. I love anyone who's a weird matchup in the forward line. That's why I love people like Jordan Dugowy. I don't necessarily love him as a person, what he's done, but like people like your Jake Stringers and so on, people who present you with a matchup that you just can't quite solve in your brain. And I think that Will Hoskin Elliott really, really does that on any team that he is on. He makes you have to think about whether your uh, person who you're going to play as a third tall has to go man someone up because he mm. will chop marks. You have no one else who can play on him. You can't play a lockdown small defender and you can't play a tall on him because he'll just take them away from the pack. You can't do it. 
Yeah, he's a, he's a solid. He was a solid player for us. I would more than happily have him back. So before we get on out of here, let's uh, let's talk about the Giants right now. I have I had them as the third best team. I think Collingwood and Geelong, along with them, are the best. But they went out this mm-hmm. weekend just before we're about to do a whole podcast on them and laid an absolute egg against Hawthorne. Uh, and really, and I mean really laid an egg. For those who don't <sighs> know, they managed to score a grand total of thirty-eight points. I think we the- kicked five goals. For the entire, yeah, five goals, eight. That's what, what, you know, Jeremy Cameron's been averaging for four to five goals. Uh, Um, Where where do you see them as at? I mean, there's lots of discussion that Jeremy Cameron is the best forward in the game. I'm inclined to agree just on goals alone, but this has been coming for a long period of time with him. Anyone who's watched him for a long period of time knows that he has the capacity to pull the game apart. And the only reason he hasn't really is, I mean, he's only 26 now. I mean, that's why I want to advance the theory that even with this recent results aside, that this team that they've currently assembled, I would argue is actually better than the team of 2016 that really should have gone on to potentially win the entire premiership because the likes of Josh Kelly, Stephen Cornelio, Toby Green, these are all players who are 22, 23 years old, some of them 21 years old, and now are all actually starting to hit the peak of their powers. I mean, Jeremy Cameron is 26 now. I mean, that yeah. is really the very start of when a key forward becomes good. And he and he's is an already at this hard. level now and he's been at this level, for, not this level, but been consistently good for such a long time. Yeah, he's an incredibly hard matchup as well, um, as a lot of teams are finding out. Apparently not um, Hawthorne. But, yeah, it, it's it's going to be interesting. I, I think this team is the best team we have had so far, that 2016 um, team were great, but they were young. Um, and then, and then the next two years really were kind of plagued by injury, especially that, um, especially uh, last year. So I think, um, sorry, the year before. Uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, I think this this could be our year. Not if we drop games um, against. I mean, you you're going to drop games, right? You're going to drop games. You're going to get out coached. But really, I really wanted us to go out and play well at the MCG. Um, it's one of those things that is comes up every time we lose there, is that the Giants can't play the, uh, the MCG, the Giants can't play the MCG. And you go, but but why? We're, we're sort of a possession well, team we'll with forget. great field kicks. You know, it doesn't really make any sense. We'll never forget that the West Coast Eagles quote-unquote, couldn't play at the G until they suddenly could. And then they won. I mean, history only exists in sport to be broken, really, doesn't it? I mean, if there's no discernible reason why something is... It could be random variance. It could be something that just needs Mm. to be worked out. But that is true until it's not. And I would say that any win will break the dam and suddenly you might have a more even contest. What is interesting to me about the Giants is, I mean, first of all, they beat Geelong. And they're the only team to do that so far. And that was down in Cardinia. So that cannot be taken away from them. No. It was a really, really gritty, excellent win was that tough. they had. And normally uh, percentage is a really good indicator of whether the team is actually good. I mean, that shows that you, know, you put aside, you put away teams by big margins and so on. And nothing's weirder to me than the Giants. When they play poorly, they play extremely, extremely poorly. I mean, they have... Ooh, pardon me. Uh, against the West Coast Eagles in round two, they scored 52 points and they just mm. scored 38 on the weekend. But at the same time, they've scored over 100 points already on four occasions as well. They're, they're, yeah, it, their offense bizarre. is really even potent. Even against the Dockers. Yeah, I mean, even against the Dockers, they lost with an 82-point effort. I mean, their offense is very, very good. If you look at their stats, and I'm looking quickly at HPN, at the moment, who, you know, I'm not a stats person. They're far better than that than I am. I mean, Greater Western Sydney have at the moment, like, goals per inside 50. They are second behind Geelong. Scores inside 50. They're second behind Geelong. <laughs> they don't get as many marks or anything like that. But their kick-to-uncontested mark ratio as well is third in the competition as well. So like, And that's yeah, why I think wow. we were talking about Tim Taranto before. What I'm most impressed with is actually his uncontested work. It was one thing for him to be around packs and things like that, but he's becoming that link player when yeah. even when he's not doing something around the ball, he's actually leaving some of these slower midfielders and getting in these little – they're not necessarily cheap kicks. He actually hits up at the ball 
when no other mm. option is available, marks almost like a centre half forward and turns inside and hits a shorter pass there to bail out his team. That's just hard does what, running. It kind of does what for, Adam Trelaw was doing for us. Yeah, it, but it's Adam that sort so of, much faster though. Him out of packs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, um, he's a he's a burst player and he's extremely good. But Tim is kind of he's he's gonna be a really really good player. I think our midfield just keeps getting harder to break into, um, which you know, and we lost. Dylan Shield and Tom Scully. And Callum Ward is unfortunately out for yeah, that, an extended that period of time, which does. But, I mean, I know they lost on the weekend, but I watched that game, and there really is nothing like watching Josh Kelly, who can who I haven't seen a player in a long time who makes the game look as easy as he does. I'm watching him at full stride, and he's got that great loping sort of gait that a younger Scott Pendlebury would have. But even Scott Pendlebury was more of a power runner. He kind of did that side-to-side run, so you never knew which way he was going to balk or weave. Josh Kelly really does glide across the field. And when he has ball in hand, you are so confident that he is going to bang that pass 40 metres onto someone's chest, as he did to start the game to Jeremy Finlayson, who unfortunately couldn't convert. But, yeah. Josh Kelly and Lockie Whitfield both have that. Uh, Lockie Whitfield's running style, he makes it look a lot harder. But they, they're both, they're, as field kicks, they're incredible to watch. Like, it is awesome uh, going and watching those two play. Like, you just, you feel safe. <laughs> you know, like, when they've got the ball in hand and they're running, you're like, that is going exactly where it needs to go. Exactly. Um, and you've got Taranto. Feeling. You've got Taranto, Canelio. And when he's fit, Callan Ward as your bulls inside, and you'd be hard pressed to find too many better that. But for me, it's there. Yeah. It really is the forward line of Jeremy Cameron, who just looms so large over this year and for their season. But I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I'm a bit wavering on my, you know, this is the best Giants team ever and that they're so fantastic and blah, blah, blah. Because, yeah, I mean, they have this ability at the moment to just go out there and just to score nothing, to score nothing at all. And it's very odd. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of still trying to figure out where that's coming from. You know, we have um, you know now we have kind of uh, players in the list that are that are filling spots. Yeah. Um, and that we ha- we didn't have those um, as much in in 2016, um, and the last couple of years. But we we definitely do have you know guys that we didn't we would have had very high draft picks in those positions. Uh, earlier, you know, like Daniel Lloyd or, or Sam Reed, who are great role players, Matt Ball, you know, great role players. Um, but you know, it, it's not their fault, and it's 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 definitely, I don't know. Is it, I mean, a lot of people question Leon Cameron's coaching um, ability. Uh, you know, you get a lot of that chat on bid. Big footy, so does that count? Probably Do people not. really need to go to Big Footy? Is that a thing that needs to happen in 2019, that people need to Look, go get opinions from Big Footy? Just come to the Ruck Rover. we got opinions exactly, without all the malice. Exactly right. When I've had a few wines and, I'm, and after a loss, I'll definitely go on Big Footy. Um, but, no, it's it, – yeah. Look, I don't, I don't know what it is at the moment. I think it's one of those things when, when we start – uh, a game and it doesn't start going our way. You know, in my, in my mind, I go, hey, if, if Jeremy Finlayson kicks those two first goals or even that first one, does that change the whole trajectory of the game? Yeah, it's not a bad I thing think, to consider. I think it, I think it might uh, with the Giants. I think it's one of those things. And you don't want to say, you don't want to, oh, that maybe they're an up and about team and they're only sort of downhill skiing or whatever it is. But you, you go, I don't know, I think they – they definitely they definitely get up and about when they start scoring and then they just belt you. But Jeremy Cameron, I mean, he got he's been belted hard and hurt hard probably in every game this year. Um, and in that game was no different. He got absolutely thrown into the fence. Um, oh, he did too. He did. Yeah, yeah, real hard into that shoulder again. So, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things. I, th- I think that the Hawks came out with something to prove and and they proved it. So you, know, um, you can play possession game and you can still win. It's boring. It's really boring. Yeah. But it worked. But it worked. So before we uh, say goodbye, Al, what are, what's the ceiling for the Giants this year? That is a great question. Look, I came into this year um, thinking that this would be our best chance at a premiership so far. 
um, and seeing who we drafted uh, and how our previous draft picks um, are developing and, you know, what draft picks we've got. I mean, we've got Essendon's next year. Hopefully they keep being That is terrible. one thing I will say. You always get return for your drafts what, and things One of the like greatest your and most satisfying things about being a Giant supporter is that we get stuff back. Um, we don't give away players for nothing if we develop them well. Um, we, we generally get things back, which is um, which is great because it, it continues a culture. You have Josh Kelly looking down at these younger players going, oh, no, these guys are going to be great. You know, I'm going to stay here. Jai um, Caldwell, Jackson Haightley. Yeah, that's going to be even O'Halloran. O'Halloran, whatever his name is, um, looks pretty good. Looks quite good. So, yeah, I think it's going to be um, – yeah, I, I, look, I think we can win it. I, I don't know if we will finish top four. Um, we've got a pretty hard Ooh. run. Um, but we've won, you know, you beat Geelong at home. You, you, you think uh, – my main problem is I don't think if we have to play West Coast over in Perth, I don't think that's going to be one that we um, – will likely win and although if we do how good is that going to be <laughs> you know you're not wrong it's going to be great it's going to be great for me because i'm going to go all right well thanks very much for stopping by the so, rock yeah, rover premiership. mate premiership that's happening so in short <laughs> 14 premierships in a row premiership exactly right i mean i think they're going to be competitive for the next 3 years i think at least oh have we lost you there and that's a great Oh, no, and he's that's still there. time for Skype to fall apart, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's all right. We'll edit that out. That'll be fine. Um, hey, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Will we see you some other time on the pod? Absolutely. Um, now that we've got all of that out of uh, my system and your system, we can just talk pure cheddar. That sounds bloody good. Hey, thanks for coming on. Take it easy. Beautiful. See you, mate.